We all have a story to tell. Let's tell yours. Welcome to the Intellectual People Podcast with your host, Jason. Come together and listen to journey stories and more from interesting people. Welcome your host, Jason. Welcome to the Intellectual People Podcast. Today, I have Sarah from FitFighter.com. How are you doing today, Sarah? I am awesome. Thanks so much for asking. It's great to be here. Great. Sarah, what is FitFighter? FitFighter is a fitness company. We are a health and wellness brand and have a signature strength training tool called the Steel Hose, invented in the fire service that has a complete digital on-demand program and system of movements that we've developed with it for a complete strength and conditioning workout for you. Did you always dream of starting FitFighter? No. FitFighter grew out of an experience in the volunteer fire service that started back in 2012 on Long Island in a small firehouse and grew from there into what we realize now has extraordinary applications and versatility across all different demographics. Have you always been into personal fitness? I have. I you know, when I was growing up, I was a gymnast from the very young, earliest age of three. My parents put me in gymnastics because I was flipping off of couches and furniture at home. And I grew an interest in movement and balance and loved just the, the, the practice of this incredible acrobatic sport. And I think that for me was very foundational in you know, preparing me for taking on other sports, um, both team sports, individual sports through high school, as a rugby player in college, continue that interest in fitness and in strength through the military and my military training, and then on into my adult life where it's sort of woven its way in and out in different ways, both professional and the fire service, and also as a, as a personal interest and now um, as my full-time life's work. Understood. What was your degree in in college? History. <laughs> so, so I was like, you know, writer, reader, and just a liberal arts major in school, you know, partly because I wasn't sure. It was one of those like not totally directed, you know, when I went to undergrad. And um, so that was, yeah, very much came out with just a, a general liberal arts education. You mentioned military. Can you expand on that, please? Yes. So I was, you know, I was exposed through my father originally to the army. He was an intelligence officer in the 60s, wow. which um, stationed in on the East West German border. And he, you know, cited his experience all throughout our childhood, even though he couldn't give us so many details given his occupation as just being really pivotal and fundamental in his in his growth in his life. And so I took an interest just through that storytelling. And then I discovered the ROTC scholarship for the army that is that you're able to deploy at any, um, any college or university that has that program. And so the army had an ROTC slot at Princeton and I was, I was gunning to go there because my older brother was a Princeton guy and I was following in his footsteps and um, it, it worked out as a way to help pay tuition for college and a great profession for after school. So the day you graduate is the day you were commissioned into the military. And then you, you know, move on and, and you've spent whatever, in my case, my commitment was four years. 
And so I was in the Army Engineer Corps as a platoon leader and captain for four years through 2007. Wow. Did you enjoy it at the time? Yeah, I did. I, I was very impactful. I would say there's some times that I describe as enjoyable and many not. Um, but in, you know, experientially, this is an incredible profession. Um, the military affords you very early in your adult life, uh, discipline, um, teamwork, camaraderie, you know, leadership opportunities, technical skills. I mean, it just goes on and on. And I think that's very special. I've never seen a corporate environment or another, you know, not-for-profit environment or training environment that has this, this breadth of, of professional development in it other than the military. And so for that reason, I'm very grateful. I, I did deploy um, early on in OIF-1 in 2003 to Mosul, Iraq, and supported mm -hmm. the 101st Airborne Division in uh, reconstruction of northern Iraq. And obviously that experience, um, having lost one soldier um, during that time, and then, and, you know, it's hard to prepare for what that experience is like. So, um, so I, yeah, it was definitely my most impactful professional chapter uh, that's really driven and shaped every, every decision I've made professionally since that time. Thank you for your service, for sure. And is there a reason why you decided to not stay in it? Yeah, you know, I always thought I would stay in to be at least a company commander, which is kind of the next step you take after the four years that I that I was in. And at the time, the deployment cycle was really onerous. It was hard to know what was going to be next. You know, in that 2007, 8, 9 era, we were sort of five, six years into the into those first engagements in the Middle East. And so I just you know, really didn't feel like I was, I understood what the roadmap was and I had met my husband and he was also deploying. So it just felt like it was a good time to, um, to have been grateful for that chapter and move on to other things. And what did you move on to? So when I got out first, we, um, I, I waited for years in Colorado Springs and I worked in a number of entrepreneurial capacities. When I got out, I started a small outdoor education program for teenagers in Colorado Springs near Fort Carson, waited for my husband to return and leave the military. And then I, we both decided that we wanted to take a break and got this really cool opportunity to go teach at an international school in Lenk, Switzerland. It's a tiny alpine town in the middle of the Bernie's Overland in Switzerland. So we went, we're both big skiers and ski bums and went to ski and teach and live overseas in the Swiss Alps for a year. And that was a great way for us to transition, think about what was next. And we both decided to come back to the States, go to graduate school. He went to medical school. I went to did my MBA um, and then sort of moved into what I would say is kind of the next major professional chapter after the military, which was starting to be involved in small and, and early stage companies. And that is before Fit Fighter, correct? That's correct. So now we are up to the 2011 timeframe. And so I graduated from Tuck and we moved down to Long Island for my husband's medical school at Hofstra University. And I, I was looking for opportunities. I've really taken a taken an interest in early stage startups, especially mission-driven companies. You know, during that time about 10 years ago, we were hearing a lot about B corporations that had, you know, were taking sustainability and and social impact very seriously. 
And so there are a lot of really interesting new business models that were incorporating some of those elements. And I thought that that was really cool. I had had this thread of public service, you know, throughout my life. And I really loved the idea that, you know, for-profit business could also have a really great impact. And so Warby Parker was my first early stage company that I joined back in 2012. Um, they were just a year old at that time. And wow. so it was a great time to be, you know, part of this really exciting growing startup. Um, and I was there for five years and became the director of development, building our bricks and mortar retail portfolio across the United States and Canada for the next five years. So that takes us up to the 2017 timeframe. And it was actually during that, that period that I started, I missed the military. You know, I definitely had, there was components of kind of the corporate lifestyle, as great as it was at a place like Warby, that really um, had this like this piece missing, you know, this um, this component of this lifestyle and this mission orientation. And so I joined the volunteer fire service on Long Island, which a lot of people don't know that the entire, the entire geographic area of Long Island outside of the five boroughs of New York City is served by a hundred percent volunteer firefighting force. Hmm. So you've got 8 million people in this extremely diverse and dense demographic outside of the biggest city in the world that is, has all volunteer trained firefighters. I thought that was amazing. I thought that was a cool thing to be a part of in the community. And so signed on in the 20, roughly like 2013, 14. Hmm. And, um, that was ultimately the root of the the sort of original roots of Fit Fighter happened during that time and that experience. Are you still involved with fire departments? Are you, I, actively, I, 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 are you still an active firefighter? Yeah, no, I, I'm not an active firefighter right now. I have my two little baby girls. I have uh, a, a growing company and a husband who's a surgical resident. So I decided after... It was after five years time and starting Fit Fighter full time that I decided I needed to take a leave of absence. Since I was working really closely with fire departments and academies, we still do. It's it's one of our biggest populations. And so I'm I'm really, you know, I, I'm really proud of the fact that we can still be involved and engaged, but I'm not actively serving as a firefighter. Understood. I still just cannot imagine running into a burning fire. I still can't wrap my head around that one so i it's an ad, admirable thing for sure <laughs> yeah how, how did yeah. the thought of fit fighter come about right you said you were working corporate job and this was brewing if you will how did it come about when you're going about your daily life so the original fit fighter story is what involved solving a really simple problem in the fire service. And I like to tell that part of the story because I think people now see the breadth of what we're doing and, you know, the, the diversity of the different training programs we have, the demographics we serve. But this really started with realizing that there was this huge chasm between the fitness and strength and conditioning environment in fire departments and what really happens out there and the unusual demands of the fire ground. So by that, I mean, you know, we don't, we didn't have, it's a volunteer service straight from the chief of the department down to, you know, the line officers and, and the probationary firefighters. We do have an academy, but even in the academy, the firefighter one curriculum, there's not a formalized fitness training program in that curriculum either. So basically all the way through the training, you're learning great skills, 
you're learning good technical skills, learning how to use tools, but not learning how to move very well and not learning how to be strong for this very unusual weight loaded demand of this job. Even more than most of my experience in the military, an average firefighter is weighed down by 60 to 70 pounds between your bunker gear, your tools, your, uh, you know, your compressed air canister, your mask, your helmet. These are very dense, you know, heavy loads that we're carrying. And then all of a sudden you're asked to, you know, under extreme pressure, move these awkward, you know, hose lines and run into, as you say, burning buildings and up ladders. And I realized like this is just the demands that are placed on the human body and mind at during those times are extraordinary. And I couldn't believe that there wasn't a standardized training to support that need. And so started to develop really simple programs based on just my experience as an athlete and in the military. Didn't really have formal training at this point at all. But I developed these programs that would teach firefighters how to move better and help them just understand basic principles of, for example, holding weight closer into your body rather than farther away from your body and how that made you much stronger because your trunk and your glutes are stronger than your extremities. And, and simple principles like that, we started to work with, you know, hose line and we started to work with um, the, the forcible entry tools and this heavy equipment and better understand how to build efficiency and increase our capacity to work for a longer period of time with these tools in these settings. And so it was solving that simple problem. We first realized that one of the most important tools in the fire ground, in fact, arguably the most important tool other than your body is that hose line. And so I started to work with fire hose as a training tool and fill it with all kinds of different materials that would mimic the weight and feel of a charged hose line so that we didn't always have to pull that off of trucks and attach it to the hydrant and charge it with water. And that makes a huge mess and it's logistically challenging. And we didn't get to train that much as volunteers. So we realized in starting to work with hose line outside of that live fire environment that we could do so much with this. We could learn so much with it, had a very unique shape. It had a very unique feel touch to it. The grip is very unusual. So there was this form factor of this, you know, beautiful sort of tubular horizontal object that when filled with these different materials uh, could be, could, could do all kinds of different movements and, and complexes and training. And so that's when you know, I, I started to have an inkling years later after I was just, you know, building these things in my garage and I was starting to adapt the design of the steel hose, which used to be a very, very long, you know, 20 foot piece of fire hose at the beginning. I started to shorten it up and use different weights and a compacted steel that gave it this really unique semi-rigid form factor, which our audience will feel when they um, get a chance to get their hands on their first fire steel hose. And it was, it, it just became this idea that was much bigger than the fire service and this idea that we could actually redefine the way that we train and move with weight. And that's really what I'm doing. You know, the message I'm sending now is that fast forward and I've had trainers, coaches, um, the general public, you know, youth athletes. I mean, we, we are touching every demographic now with truly a new type of free weight, a new form of lifting weight. And given that less than 10% of the population 
does any weightlifting at all. And yet it's the single most important thing that we can do for our long-term health. This is creating this bridge, this accessibility that I believe has never existed before in the traditional sort of powerlifting, weightlifting environment. And so, you know, here we are sort of fast forward from that original time and, and realizing how powerful this concept is of this imbalanced fire hose based weight and how we can move with it in a totally different way. Thank you. I heard a great quote, which I'll repeat, and it goes like this. Cardio is for weak people. And I say that because you brought up that lifting weight is so great for you, right? The question is that I have is, why is it so healthy for people to lift weight? Yeah, so a lot of people don't know that lifting weight, they think that it builds muscle mass. And that's true. But then it sort of stops there. And so that we sort of thought for a thousand years that this is, you know, that pumping iron is this way to, to this has been this very physical result, right? Visual right. result almost. And so we don't think about lifting weight instead as something that has incredibly vast um, benefits to include increasing your bone density and not just your muscle mass, thereby increasing your bone health. This um, improves your, it decreases. Um, the rate at which you lose muscle mass as you get older, which is, um, if I gave you the statistic, losing 8% of your muscle mass every decade after the age of 30. Um, this is a very striking amount. That's if you're if you're doing no weightlifting at all. Um, you, you start to realize that's half your muscle mass by the time you're 75 years old. So it's no wonder that we get, you know, older, frail people um, it increases your immunity, which of course in the world of post-pandemic COVID-19 is something that is on all of our minds. This increases your ability to sleep. It betters your sleep cycles. This helps to decrease your, your um, injury, you know, your prevents injuries because it, this is protecting your joints and it's giving your joints the ability to be stronger because they're more protected by the muscles, fibers that are around the joints. So the benefits of weightlifting go on and on and on. And because while you're lifting, you still are increasing your metabolic capacity. You're still, you know, you're still breathing hard. Um, you can actually move weight while you're doing some conditioning, which would be that cardiovascular conditioning. And so that there's this complete reframing of weightlifting that we need to do for people to totally sort of retrain their brain and and really change those predispositions that we have that have become very ingrained about the power lifter with the barbell um, and even the emoji like on the phone with weightlifting is a guy with this bent big heavy barbells it's got these big muscles and actually that's 98% of us don't want to be that guy anyway right. <laughs> we just want to be strong to lift our kids up and you know run around chase our kids around and heave groceries out of the car and run up the stairs to grab something we forgot and just feel great and strong during the day and so we've we've we're, we're you know we're looking to really change the game change the mindset and just forevermore you know disrupt the idea the notion of what this means for people so we can get more people lifting and get more people you know that are stronger later in their lives because ultimately this is then about this is very expensive to be unhealthy and to not weight lift we're going to land ourselves in the hospital it means it's more onerous for our, we're going to get more injuries. You know, it's just very costly and 
um, and then impacts the rest of our, our body and our brains. So if we could figure out a way to make weightlifting kind of like brushing our teeth, where we've sort of, you know, we brush our teeth because we've been convinced that cavities are bad. <laughs> We're going to lose our teeth. That's, we can start, most of us, I think, brush our teeth, you know, once or twice a day. And if we could just convince everyone that this is a similar um, requirement, necessity for our long-term health, I think we'll be in great shape. That's great. How heavy is the average fire hose? Whether it's per foot or per roll, if you will. Right. So if you're, so a fire hose comes, if you think about a hundred foot length of fire hose, and then you fill that fire hose with water, if that's a two inch, this of course depends on how wide the fire hose is. But if that's a two inch piece fire hose with the weight of water and a hundred feet length, you're looking at a, a weight of over a hundred pounds that's in your, you know, that you're holding in your hand. Um, and that you're having to drag around and right. thinking about dragging around a hundred pounds, you know, up the stairs and up a ladder. And then with all of your other weight load on, you know, you can imagine that this is that, that becomes this, you know, very onerous for most people because of how sort of, even if you think about, oh, I can lift a hundred pounds up and down when it's in this horizontal weight distribution, that feels like a lot more weight. Is the fit fighter actual fire hose? It's actual fire hose. So the construction is very beautiful and we've stumbled into that. You know, it wasn't by design. The outside is nylon and polyester fabric, which is great to grip. And then the interior is a synthetic rubber. Used to be real rubber. Now most of it is synthetic. And so it's this double layered material that then when compacted with the steel um, becomes this really unique thing to hold. And how do you seal the ends? So we use a hundred, a 258 gauge nylon um, fibered thread, which is a very, very thick thread that is um, in a sewing machine that's meant to uh, make horse saddles, leather shoes. You know, you could, could go through just about anything with this. And so we double stitch it at the end so that it gets through the, that double layered material and we're completely sealed up from any of the elements, which makes this great as an indoor outdoor tool. You can leave a steel hose out in the rain, no problem, you know, let it dry and it's good to go. And that's one of the really right. cool things about the, the equipment. Are the hoses recycled? Is that how, how you're getting them? Are you getting um, like not mileaged out, but timed out hoses that it's time for the departments to turn them over? Yeah. So originally we were using exclusively recycled hose. So okay. when I designed the vision for the company, it was used recycled hose that came off the trucks and is out of let, you know, out of its first life. And we can, you know, re give it another, a second life. Sure. And then when we started to scale and we still make a lot of our, our hoses that have that recycled hose, you know, we have a lot of them sitting on the shelf and we sell them to fire departments and people who really like that sort of heritage quality to it. When we started to scale and need thousands of hoses instead of just hundreds of, you know, a couple of hoses or hundreds of hoses, then we started to need to expand that supply chain and we use the new, we use the new hose. And so now we have the large portion of our, um, of our hose supply comes from new hose, but from fire hose suppliers based here in the USA who are supplying departments. So 
I'd love to get back to having an even more expanded sort of heritage line that really celebrates those that archived hose and and give it a, a second lifetime. Are department fire hoses, um, do they have an insignia on them of the department? Sometimes they're stamped. Um, yeah. A lot of times, right, when they'll order... If they put in an order, for example, from a fire hose manufacturer, the manufacturer can stamp, you know, Hailside Firehouse, Huntington Fire Department onto that hose. And so actually a lot of the early hoses that we that we sold, that if you get a used hose, it's gonna have really, really neat insignia on the back that talks about the CFMs and the, you know, sort of stamps right. it with the date and where it comes from, and then sometimes the department. And I loved those. I loved those because it gives it kind of this really real quality. Has Fit Fighter thought about doing anything like that on the hose? Adding some specs or adding websites and adding just general information to try to make it more uh, nostalgic, if you will? I love that idea. I mean, we we have done custom work on the hoses for when we've had a gym or like a large scale order who has asked for, you know, their own their own logo branding, for example. Obviously, it's very expensive for us to do that. Um, but we definitely, I, I think that as we go forward and as we start to be able to just expand expand our adaptability and and grow and make that you know make the custom product something that's a little bit less onerous for us i think that that would be that would be a really neat idea and we can continue because it is that fabric and because because you can stamp it screen print on it fairly easily i think that's a really fun um solution that will be very rich do you private label at all for companies we do not private label and it's very important to me that we, we do do a powered by Fit Fighter option, which is what we've done when we've had those custom logos. But it's very important to me that, especially in these early years of Fit Fighter, you know, we we invented this concept of fire hose as a as a means to instability resistance training. What's called IRT, which is a very widely studied at this point um, benefit to to do imbalanced weight training. And I'd like to start owning that space. And we do already own this concept of fire hose as as a as a training tool. And so it's important to me that the brand is affiliated with owning that space and certainly affiliated with owning the steel hose. So I, down the road, we'll have to see, I'm very open-minded to the opportunities to work with other channel partners, you know, companies who are going to want to have, um, you know, some of their own, um, you know, so, some of sort of own the, the a steel hose for part of their programming, but that's down the road, I think. Um, we need to really solidify this first. And I hope that, you know, other folks, other partners will want to have that co-branding as well. And that, and that acknowledgement of the collaboration, we've had a lot of great collaborative success so far already. Sarah, who do you work with to come up with the actual training programs? How does that come about? So initially, when we first built the fire academy training programs and the tactical programs, I would work directly with the firefighters, you know, officers and, and chiefs of department um, that were in the fire service. And then I also worked with, when I worked with the FDNY as our first big major client, they have a whole functional fitness training unit and worked with a couple of those firefighters on, you know, the, a simple circuit 
training system that would um, <clears throat> service the fire in general, the, the fire departments. And then when we branched out and started working with trainers and coaches and gyms, I hired a director of training and education who is well known in the industry, you know, person who was just tirelessly committed to programming and evidence-based work and programs. And I felt that was a great person to help to lead, you know, to spearhead our programming. And so she then worked with eight or 10 pros who are, have now provided training for us on our platforms, both for consumers and professionals. And we've developed everything from 10 minute coached workouts to 30 day programs that are sports specific, golf, basketball, postnatal, you know, several others, and then uh, professional programs for a turnkey implementation for a personal trainer, a group fitness instructor, gym franchise, or, you know, whatever the interest is. And so it's, it's been really amazing for me to watch, you know, someone sort of take on Fit Fighter and take on our equipment and see in it what I saw in it and then help me to bring it to life through that programming. That's been very, very special for me. So cool. And it's important to mention it, and you briefly mentioned it, that it's not only professional, but it's also consumer level training as well, right? People can buy it and do it at home or even in their clubhouse gym where they live, right? Absolutely. 100%. In fact, you know, our, we have a huge customer base now of consumers, especially during COVID-19. You know, this was a time when we were all working out at home and needing to stay strong and needing to get ourselves out of bed in the morning and move. And so we put steel hoses in the hands of thousands of people in their homes. And it was this very extraordinary time for us in the growth of the company where we were able to see that, you know, almost accelerate that consumer community. Um, and now we've sort of brought back both the professional community and the consumer community. And I'm really, really excited about having both of those communities growing because the steel hose is awesome for, you know, you can slide it under your couch, hang it on your coat rack. It's safe for toddlers safe for families, you know, it doesn't have to sit in the garage gym and drop it on your toes, lift it above your head. I mean, you name it, we've learned that this, this interesting firehouse, you know, tactical implement from the firehouse is the perfect home fitness training tool. So it's, yeah, that's been really, that's been really special to see that deployed in across all of these different environments, no matter where you are. Where is Fit Fighter made? The actual Fit Fighter? So the hoses are made down in South Carolina now at Sorenex Exercise Equipment. Okay. So this is an equipment company that is known as the best in the business. They manufacture for the military. They manufacture for uh, professional teams, collegiate division one teams, um, also have a consumer market. This is a homegrown USA-based uh, manufacturing company. So I was introduced by a friend and, um, you know, was really, you know, just felt like it was a perfect collaboration. So everything's all components are sourced to made in the USA here. And, uh, and so that's, that's been great to find a partner. That's such a great partner for production. Did you struggle during the pandemic of man with manufacturing? We had really, we were, we were just barely on the map at the beginning of COVID-19. And so we were doing pretty well, um, you know, with still being able to fulfill no problem. Um, because again, we don't have a long lead time. Our components are all manufactured here in the States and, and we have steel, you know, fire hose, steel grommets and, 
and nylon webbing are the four main components of this product. And so we've been able to stay ahead of the supply chain. Um, and actually that's, you know, that's something that this holiday season, I'm, I'm looking forward to being, you know, the gift that's definitely going to get to you because you got hoses on the shelf and we're totally prepared. And so that's actually been much less of an issue than for most companies right now. Excellent. Sarah, where do you want to take FitFighter ultimately? What is Sarah's goal for FitFighter? My dream is that in 10 years that we have changed the way that people think about their fitness and their movement and that we have taken fitness from being something that we squeeze into a 40-minute class at the beginning or the end of the day, or we wake up early to do, or we, and then we, you know, after we're done working hard, we take a shower and go about the rest of our life. Instead, to totally reframe that and think about movement and strength and something that weaves its way in and out of our day, all day, every day, that we're in this stronger, steadier state that is fueled by movement and great joint mobility, and that we've got great tools you can use for 10 minutes at a time, 15 minutes at a time. And this is something that's just much more woven into the fabric of our lives. And in doing so, and you know, don't tell all of the major manufacturers of dumbbells, but the bottom line is the dumbbell needs to go for a lot of people in their lives. There's just no reason they need to be pumping iron, lifting dumbbells up and down with bicep curls, which are doing nothing for them to actually be stronger holistically for what they do, especially after their gladiating days, you know, of being an elite athlete, or, you know, if you do have a particularly physical profession. And so, you know, in 10 years, I'd like to see people, you know, I'd like to, to see a change, a real sea change in the industry. And I believe that we can lead the charge based on the research that's out there, the expertise we have, the teams we have on board, and the products and equipment and training that we're now able to deliver right into homes, you know, through these digital platforms and through our trusted channel partners. So ultimately, you know, this is, we're heading towards the scale of Nike and of really being a, a disruptor in the industry, the way that you've heard of any challenger brand in the last 20 years. Do you think that you can get Fit Fighter into schools? So kids are starting at young ages, very light, obviously, but start them young. So it's something like riding a bike to them, right? Where they understand it and it is ingrained in them. Is that something that you've thought about? I love this question because you see all these people who send me photos of their two-year-old, you know, picking up that five pound weight and they, they send this photo. Can you imagine that ever happening with a dumbbell? You know, everybody being like, Hey, my two-year-old's picking up a, you know, a kettlebell. Let's right. take a photo. No, instead you'd be like, ah, they're going to drop it and hurt themselves. And so there's this very um, accessible, I think, um, nature of this um, that can absolutely live in that elementary school gym environment and, you know, right. dragging hoses around and yep. youth athletes, team training, you know, on the soccer field, like the coach who's like the history coach and he's filling in as the soccer coach. Right. And like, we can be a resource, like a little bit of strength training, you know? Yep. So I think you're spot on like that. That to me is a huge North star that that's a big white space where we can have impact. Okay, great. Sarah, is there anything I haven't asked you that you wish I would have, or that you would like to share with us? 
Wow. You know, I would say that I would, I would want to share that we have had the most beautiful, you know, letters and feedback and input coming in from just clients and, and members and, and customers of all different ages that have said to us, you know, wow, for the first time, you know, I have arthritic hands and, or I have nerve damage, you know, I'm a wounded veteran, I have nerve damage and they'll write, you know, handwritten letters into me personally and say, you know, thank you so much because for the first time we feel that, you know, that this is something accessible for us. Um, and I, you know, that's very, very special to me. And I think it's the essence of, you know, when we think about entrepreneurship and why we would go through the extraordinary struggle of being an entrepreneur, having financial constraints, you know, having to, to, you know, not take salary for years as we grow companies and dealing with the ins and outs of, of sort of this growing a new idea. And, you know, my mom of two little kids and, you know, I think that's, that's what really ultimately makes it all worthwhile. And so I would say, you know, to the entrepreneurs out there, you know, anyone who has an idea that's a big idea, you, if you're passionate about something to the point that you feel you really need to go after it and develop it, it's probably an idea that's going to have that kind of impact for some kind of person, you know? And I would just say, trust, the, trust that, you know, trust that passion and trust the, that, sort of notion that that that's probably can be a game changer out there and I've I've experienced that firsthand and it's extremely special. Wonderful message. Thank you so much Sarah. Thank you for your time. Good luck to you in fitfighter.com. Please go visit Sarah www.fitfighter.com. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Find us on YouTube and Facebook at the Intellectual People Podcast and online at the intellectualpeoplepodcast.com. Check back for exciting new episodes.